Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, Murder at the Warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building, and how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, guys, I have another promo for a show that I think you guys are going to love. Hillbilly Horror Stories. Do you like your paranormal with a small dash of comedy? Hillbilly Horror Stories is just serious enough for the hardcore paranormal enthusiasts, but entertaining enough for skeptics or non-believers. Each week, comedian Jerry Pauly tells his wife, Tracy, a story about a haunted location or an unexplained event. The fun part is that Tracy has no clue what the story is, so you get her genuine reaction and she asks the questions that you are probably thinking to yourself. As a bonus, Hillbilly Horror Stories releases six episodes each week with varying styles for you to enjoy. There is truly something for everyone. Sound like something you'll love? Then head on over to wherever you listen to your podcasts and start listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories today. Religion can, in some cases, cloud the judgment of even the most strong-willed individual. On April 14, 1938, a man was born who would take on the divine right of becoming a beloved Catholic priest. A man who, when one of the nuns in his chapel was brutally killed, came under deep suspicion but was ultimately let free based on the religious beliefs of the man in charge of the case. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Father Gerald Robinson, born April 14, 1938, and 42 years old at the time, worked alongside Sister Margaret Ann Paul in 1980, where he, as the Jesuit chaplain, ministered to the sick and terminally ill, and she acted as the caretaker of the chapel at Mercy Hospital in Toledo, Ohio. 
both beloved, Father Robinson was a popular priest in the heavily Catholic area, and Sister Margaret was known as a strict taskmaster who got what was necessary accomplished. The two worked closely together and, for the most part, seemed to work well with one another. That was until April 5th, 1980, when their work was cut short and someone found Sister Margaret's bloody body on the floor of the chapel she cared for so well. In addition to being choked to the point of near death, the 71-year-old, on the day before her 72nd birthday, had been stabbed 31 times in the chest, neck, and face in a pattern that closely resembled an upside-down cross. Her forehead had been anointed with a smudge of her own blood, her habit pulled up to her chest, and her underwear pulled down to her ankles. Though she was not raped by the killer's own body, he penetrated her with a cross and posed it in a position of humiliation for the pious woman. Almost immediately, suspicion was thrown upon Father Robinson for the ritualistic murder. Though not quick enough, as he was the man who presided over Sister Margaret's funeral mass just four days after her murder. The main piece of evidence against him was the blood stain found on the altar cloth that was consistent, down to the dime-sized medallion bearing the image of the U.S. Capitol, to the sword-shaped letter opener Father Robinson kept on his desk. Not only did they find the potential murder weapon, but, according to some sources, police were also able to locate a book on how to perform the satanic black mass in Father Robinson's possessions. While many would have taken this as a concrete sign of guilt, the chief detective on Sister Margaret's case, Deputy Police Chief Ray Vetter, was devoutly Catholic and did not want to make any moves that may scandalize the church and soil the reputation of a pillar in their community. According to the chief of the criminal division in the Lucas County Prosecutor's Office, Dean Mondros, Deputy Vetter also asked that all reports about the case be given to him first, some of which were never seen again. Father Robinson was, however, submitted to a lie detector test in which he admitted that he knew who murdered Sister Margaret, but due to the religious severity of Catholic confession, could not reveal the killer's true identity. Because of all of this, Father Robinson was not arrested, and without a suspect to bring to trial, Sister Margaret's case went completely cold as many began to suspect a possible cover-up. Years passed, and while the case remained a cold one, Father Robinson continued to serve the Catholic population in Toledo for the next 23 years and presided over three different parishes until 2003 when he began administering to the sick and dying at several Catholic homes and hospitals. While he seemed to quietly flourish, Sister Margaret's case remained exactly where it was until December of 2003, when a Lucas County cold case investigative team reopened the case and decided to give it a fresh look after a woman wrote the police a letter claiming that Father Robinson had sexually abused her as a child. Molestations that, according to the letter, involved satanic ritualistic behavior and human sacrifice. The woman, referred to as Survivor Doe, later filed a civil lawsuit against Father Robinson, seeking financial damages for being the victim of his ritual abuse, but, due to the file being presented too late, the case was dismissed in 2011. Needing more information, Sister Margaret's body was exhumed and a forensic pathologist helping with the case noted a stab wound in her jaw that could have been made by the letter opener found in Father Robinson's apartment. Not necessarily new news, but with new technology, the DNA from under her fingernails and on her underwear was tested and shockingly did not match that of Father Robinson. 
Regardless, police still felt as though he was a viable suspect and in April of 2006, arrested the priest and held him without bail. Father Robinson, of course, denied any involvement in Sister Margaret's murder. Despite basing the case widely on the circumstantial evidence, Gerald Robinson was brought to trial on April 24, 2006, where the prosecutor in the case showed the jury a videotape of his 2004 police interrogation. In it, he claimed he had been stunned when one of the other hospital chaplains accused him of killing Sister Margaret, but when left alone in the interrogation room, folded his hands and began whispering the word sister before bowing his head and saying a prayer. Though I'm not sure what the prosecution hoped to prove with that video, they did bring up the forensic scientist who testified that the letter opener, quote, could not be ruled out as the murder weapon. And in their closing arguments, claimed that the opener and Sister Margaret's wound matched like a, quote, key in a lock. Despite the circumstantial evidence, after nine days of deliberation, a jury found Gerald Robinson guilty of all counts on May 11th, 2006, making him only the second Catholic priest in the U.S. to be convicted of homicide. The 70-year-old priest was sentenced to 15 years to life imprisonment and would be eligible for parole in 2016. The conviction was upheld two months later and, in December of 2008, the Ohio Supreme Court declined to hear the case. The U.S. Supreme Court did the same. Having run out of legal appeals, in 2010, Gerald's legal team petitioned the state appeals court for post-conviction relief on the grounds that, in their opinion, Sister Margaret may have been murdered by 27-year-old confessed serial killer Coral Eugene Watts, a man who stabbed 12 women to death in Texas and at least one in Michigan, though he is suspected of killing another 80. Women who, in addition to being stabbed, had their shirts pulled up to their necks and had been posed in humiliating positions with no signs of sexual assault. The appeal was denied on April 11, 2011, on the grounds that, at the time of his 2006 trial, Gerald's attorneys knew that Coral was a possible suspect in Sister Margaret's murder, but chose not to pursue it as a defense strategy. They also cited the dissimilarities between her murder and Coral's M.O., mainly the fact that almost all of his victims were much younger than Sister Margaret and were killed outdoors. They have made a few more attempts, but on July 4th, 2014, Gerald Robinson, after having a heart attack a few months before, passed away in the prison hospital at the age of 76. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear a terrible thing happened on April 15th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.